Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Well, Bryson DeChambeau is bad, just like Michael Jackson sings, who's bad? Well, that would be Bryson Aldrich DeChambeau. What a win at Wingfoot for the reformed, rebuilt, re reorganized, I don't know what to say, but I give Bryson all the credit in the world for what he's done to change his body, change his philosophy, change the way that he plays. And it really does change the way that we think about golf now. I I grew up in an era, probably like a lot of you, where it was all about hitting the ball in the fairway. I remember early on when I came out on tour and People like Arnold Palmer and Johnny Miller and Jack Nicholas, Hale Irwin, Trevino, they all schooled us young guys and said, put the ball in play no matter what. Especially the U.S. Open when the rough is so thick that when you hit it in there, nobody swung hard enough or had the strength to be able to muscle out a, a eight iron, much less a, a five wood, which is what we routinely saw at Wingfoot this past week for the U.S. Open. So, when I grew up, it was all about finesse. Put the ball in play. Don't worry about power. Give up some distance to put the ball in play. Well, that is not the way these young kids today look at the game. Now, I'm not here to say one thing is right and the other is wrong. I'm just trying to point out how interesting things are and how things have changed. When you look at the last group this past weekend, at the U.S. Open. Bryson DeChambeau and Matthew Wolf, two youngsters, two incredibly talented young men with unique swings, unique swings all to themselves. First take Matthew Wolf. Matthew Wolf, when he first picked up golf, he just swung it the way it felt. And he said when he looks at it on video, he feels like the club goes straight back and straight through just like you're supposed to. But no, <laughs> he works with George Gankus which if any of you follow Instagram or Twitter, George Gankas, G-A-N-K-A-S, is a great follow. And he's got a very unique and innovative way to teach and a way to look at the game of golf. I find it fascinating because it's such a departure for the way I was taught and how I play. And it's kind of hard to teach an old dog new tricks and making a change Right now, at 66 years old, is hard. It's hard for me to do that. It's hard for any guy that's played the game for 30 or 40 years to make a change. But Matthew swings a golf club. As you know, his arms go in, the club head goes up and out, and then the club dramatically drops to the inside. But if you were to take away the club, if you were to take a video of his golf swing and just take away the club and just watch his arms and his body rotation... It is so good and so solid, and he generates a ton of power, and he also hits the ball pretty darn straight. Now, I know the back nine at Wingfoot on Sunday, he had it going a little bit to the right, but that is going to happen to all of us. We all know that golf's a game we can only rent. We can never own it, and every once in a while, you're going to hit a few errant shots. You don't know when, and you don't really know why it happens, but Matthew lost a couple of shots off the tee. Now, let's take Bryson DeChambeau, the nickname B-A-D, bad. 
My company, Peter Jacobson Sports, we started a tournament down in the Fresno, California area called Safe Mart Shootout. Safe Mart Grocery Stores was the title sponsor. We did it at a cool course called Riverbend there just outside of Fresno in Madera, California. Well, every year we would do a clinic. We had LPGA players, PGA Tour players, and Champions Tour players, and it was so much fun. It was kind of the unique thing that I got into early on, or I should say in the middle of my career at Peter Jacobson Sports, creating unique events for title sponsors. We paired either a PGA Tour or Champions Tour Pro with an LPGA Pro. We always did a clinic before the first day, and we heard that there was a really talented young kid. Well, he was probably 11 or 12 or 13. So we brought him out to hit balls at the clinic a couple of years. Come to find out that little kid was Bryson DeChambeau. So I followed him all through his amateur career when he won the NC2As at SMU, and then he won the U.S. Amateur. And I find Bryson to be a wonderful young man, so polite, so kind, so helpful, and so incredibly talented the way that he played golf before this change that he went through this past year. He came close to winning so many times, and I remember at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, when Rory won, he was in the mix, and he loved Arnold like everybody in the game, and when he didn't win, he came out of the scorer's tent, and he was extremely upset, and I ran into him, and I grabbed him, and I pulled him aside because he was, he was emotional to tears, and I said, look, Bryson, just keep, keep plugging away. You're going to win a lot of tournaments, and you'll probably win Arnold's tournament someday. Well, He decided to go through the change of the way that he looked at golf. He wanted to get stronger, bigger. He wanted to swing the golf club faster. And he started working out. He gained weight. He always joked about drinking these protein shakes, which quite honestly, I don't think was a joke. And all of a sudden this year he came out and and I believed that he was the story of 2020. Well, let's be honest. The story of 2020 is the COVID-19 pandemic. But put that aside, I think Bryson is the story even before this U.S. Open win. But when he came out and he is swinging the golf club so fast and hitting it ridiculous lengths, and he really had the attitude he expected to win. He said, I've put in the work. I've dedicated to the game. I've changed my philosophy And I'm in it for the long haul. And i tell you what, he just proved it last week at Wingfoot. The way that he took apart Wingfoot was so impressive. Now, I've played three majors at Wingfoot. I played in the Open in 1984. And it was cool. I learned a stat this week that I was the last player to go bogey-free at Wingfoot in 1984. The last round, I shot 67. And I think I finished seventh. So that was cool. I also played the 97 PGA Championship at Wingfoot. And then as a, as a 52-year-old, I played in the 2006 U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Shot a pair of 76s and missed the cut by three. The only good thing about that was that I tied Tiger Woods. We both missed the cut shooting a pair of 76s. So when I got back this year to Wingfoot as part of the NBC broadcast team. I really didn't expect that the scores would be as low as they were, or I should say one guy's score to be as low as it was. Wingfoot is longer than I've ever seen it. The greens are bigger 
Gil Hance did a restoration after looking at the photos from 1929 when Bobby Jones won the Open at Wingfoot. And when I toured the course on Tuesday, I was blown away with, first of all, how great it looks. Probably the most the most unique set of greens, 18 greens together I've ever seen in my life. They've got undulation, a lot of movement. They've got slope, but they're fun. I know it kind of sounds weird to say, but when you're playing wing foot and you're not playing in the U.S. Open to where every shot counts, and you're putting to these deep hole locations in the back right or front left, it's, it's so much fun. But when I saw the scores that, first of all, what, uh, Justin Thomas shot the first day, 65, and Rory Sabatini made seven birdies in his first round. And remember when Jeff Ogilvie won the Open back in 2006, the year that Colin Montgomery and Phil Mickelson had their meltdown on the last hole, making double bogey. Jeff Ogilvie only made nine birdies for the week. So imagine my surprise when Sabatini went out and made seven birdies in one round and threw three, three rounds of golf. Matthew Wolf had made 14, and he had a two-shot lead on Bryson. But what Bryson did on Sunday, he just he took the golf course apart. He bombed it over every hazard, took it over these huge stands of trees, and he just overpowered the golf course, something I never thought I would see at Wingfoot. Now, a lot of people were texting me saying that they don't like Bryson's attitude on the golf course, and I did. I did take him on a couple of podcasts ago when he was storming out of a bunker. I think it was at the Rocket Mortgage Classic up in Detroit. And the cameraman was on him for a long time and he was PO'd and moaning and groaning. And he got mad at the cameraman and he even said something in the media room that, ah, oh, these camera guys shouldn't be in my face. And I said, no, Bryson, that's their job. They're there to cover the story and you're the story if you're leading. So let's Let's not worry about it. I don't mind when a guy gets upset. My gosh, we've seen Tiger Woods get upset multiple times, drop F-bombs. Same with John Rahm, same with Sergio, same with literally hundreds of players on the PGA Tour over their time out there. I don't mind that because they're passionate, they care. Yeah, there maybe needs to be a two or three second delay so you don't hear the swear words, but... I really don't mind it, but it just gives you a peek into what Bryson is trying to accomplish, trying to break all the stereotypes of golf and the way that people think you're supposed to play it. And uh, I admire him. It's not the way I play, but I do think that the USGA needs to really look at the golf ball. You can't legislate how strong a guy gets or how hard he swings, but you certainly can do something about the golf ball. Because as Jack Nicklaus said 20 years ago, the golf ball goes too far. And some of the great classic courses that we've known through the last 50 or 60 years soon will be obsolete because the players drive the ball so far, it's going to be like a pitch and putt. So maybe what we need to do is mow the fairways 10 to 12 yards wide and grow the rough three feet long. That'll keep guys from bombing it over the corners of these dog legs. But Hats off to Bryson DeChambeau. He's changing the way we look at golf, changing the way that we're going to practice and prepare. And, and you got to admit, you have to admire an innovator, whether you like it or not. The guy's creative.
I'm a sports nut, and if you're anything like me, the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports. But Mondays are for golf. Once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete, whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world, I know I'll find what I need on Global Golf Post. It comes to my email every Monday morning delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. And it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to globalgolfpost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating. And with Global Golf Post Plus, there's no advertising. Use the promo code JAKESTAKES when you sign up to receive 30% off your monthly subscription to Global Golf Post Plus. So remember, globalgolfpost.com. It's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up. I was so excited when NBC called last week and asked me to do the broadcast, to join the team for the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. But if I wasn't part of that team, I was going to go play the Pure Insurance Open out at Pebble Beach, which is my favorite all-time golf course. And even though it was going to be against the U.S. Open, I know this is a crazy year, 2020, with the COVID pandemic and all these tournaments are postponed and canceled and rescheduled. I was going to play at Pebble, but because I was on the broadcast team, I couldn't get out there. But I watched very closely and I was so excited to see Jim Furyk, my good buddy, and my longtime pal and caddy, Mike Cowan, win in a playoff over Jerry Kelly. So if you remember, I played in the Ally Challenge earlier this year at Warwick Hills and watched Jim and Fluff win that tournament. And it was very special because I had won there 30 years earlier with Fluff as my caddy. So fast forward to this past week at Pebble, I had won the AT&T in 95 with Fluff on my bag. So sure enough, Furyk and Fluff go out there and they win this week. So Furyk kind of likes the Champions Tour. He's two for two. And I'm sure Fluff loves it too because it's another win that pads his resume and a, and a few more dollars in his pocket. But congratulations to Jim Furyk and Mike Cowan for another win on the Champions Tour. I know it's hard to accept when you turn 50 and you don't hit it as far, your game's not as good, you still think you could play on the PGA Tour. I know I did. I won at 49 and I thought, oh, I'm still good enough. I can play with those young bucks. But you quickly learn you can't. So I'm so glad to see Furyk with that kind of success because maybe he'll play more. And don't forget, a couple weeks ago, Phil Mickelson won in his first time out on the Champions Tour. I was really sad to see him struggle last week at Wingfoot and miss the cut because nobody deserves to win the career Grand Slam like Phil Mickelson. He's been so great for the game. And if you're a fan of the game, you must appreciate what Phil has done. 
for this game of golf and everybody in it. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours? <laughs>